there was so much that I wanted to share with you today. And last night, Carol and I were, we got together and we started preparing for what we wanted to share with everybody today. And then this morning, the Lord dropped this spirit, dropped it, dropped this scripture into my heart. And I want to share this with you as kind of a biblical response to America's, I call it America's current civil war, a biblical response. And so would you turn in your Bibles to Colossians, the second chapter? And we'll begin right at the very first verse. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. And then we're going to take a look at what, what we believe is a biblical response to America's current civil war. When things like this, and I find it interesting, Pastor Paul, why is it that every time something happens in America like this, we always end up speaking? <laughs> that following Sunday. What is it? You schedule these things on purpose. <laughs> and it's not that we feel qualified to speak on it, but I know it's not a coincidence that every time we have some type of racial issue that breaks out in America, God seems to always... Yes. The true men of God. Yes. He will unite them to take a stand like we've never seen before. Like we've never seen before. Yes, sir. We will not be defeated. We won't. That's exactly where we're going. We won't be defeated. We won't be defeated. Yeah. And that's the that's the mindset that we believe that God is building in the true church. Right. Where we don't see it as if though God failed if things don't turn out in our lifetime the way we thought it would happen. Think about Israel when they were in slavery in Egypt. They were there for 400 years. Joseph had a command. He said, when you leave, not if, when you leave here, take my bones with you. And it was a request that was honored so that even if somebody was born in year 200 with no hope of ever seeing it they still remained faithful to pass it on they made they remained faithful said when you leave can you imagine parents telling their children grandparents we can say that now grandparents telling their grandchildren when you leave, take Joseph's bones. I may not see it, but this promise is still coming to pass. So even if I die and don't see it, don't think of it as if though God didn't keep his promise. You be faithful to honor this request. And do you not know, 400 years later, when Moses and Joshua and everybody and Caleb and all these folks left, went, got out, nobody forgot. They weren't halfway into the wilderness and go, oh, we forgot to bring Joseph's bones out. Nope. That request was still honored. And God is raising us up in this time to be the same way. That there are some things that he has promised for his people here in this country. 
And although we see turmoil breaking out all over the place, it doesn't mean that God's word isn't still true. There are some promises that we are holding on to concerning revival in this nation. But from what I have observed, just in church history, it seems like revival always comes on the heels of persecution and outbreaks like what we're getting, like what's going on right now. And so that's why I kind of felt like the Lord kind of dropped this word in our hearts to give us biblical response, not in our emotions, not an emotional response to what's going on, not even a intellectual response to what's going on. Biblical. Paul says, he, when he wrote to the Colossians from the first verse, he says, this is Colossians 2, starting at verse 1, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God. That's a whole lot he says in that, but let me say it to you this way. He said, I'm not there in the flesh to tell you this, but I want your hearts to be encouraged. I want you to be, to be knit together in love attaining all the riches, our hearts, attaining all the riches of the full assurance of understanding. Full assurance of understanding. So we know, got God's perspective of what's going on to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Verse 4, now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. A lot of that happening in our country right now. He says, this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words, pouring through our televisions and satellites and internet. There's a lot of persuasive words. They're deceptive words. Paul says, for though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. The steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Verse 6, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him. And established in the faith. Here's, here, here's how to walk in him. Rooted and built up in him. And established in the faith. As you have been taught. Here's how that happens. In other words, he says. As you have been taught. Abounding in it. With thanksgiving. Abounding in what? What you have been taught. That built you up, that, had, that made you rooted and built up and established in the faith. It came by teaching, and you abounded in it with thanksgiving. Now comes a warning. He says, verse 8, beware lest anyone cheat, or King James Version says, spoil you. 
through philosophy and empty deceit. Again, there's another warning. Notice that verse 4, he talked about something I need to say to you, lest anyone deceive you with persuasive words. Now here he is in verse 8 again. A warning, beware lest anyone cheat or spoil you through philosophy and empty deceit. According, here's how, he even takes the time to enumerate, here's how that cheating or that spoiling will take place. Through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world. Three ways, three ways in which we could be cheated or spoiled. One, through philosophy and empty deceit. Two, according to the tradition of men. Three, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in him, Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Father, we thank you for your awesome presence here today. We sent you and Chris and Carol, right now, we decrease that you would increase. We don't have the answers. You have the answers. We don't have the way. You are the way. So we yield ourselves, Lord, to you in this very moment so that you can speak through us, speak to us, and give us your heart for our nation, for our neighbors for our families who are right now being deceived, who are right now being persuaded. It's coming through media. It's coming through orchestrated conflicts. It's coming through traditions. It's coming through the principles of the world. But Lord, we yield ourselves to you. We're like the little boy, Samuel, who was instructed to say, speak, Lord, <laughs> for your servants hear you. Speak, Lord, today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to just kind of take the time to break down that particular verse, verse uh, uh, 8. Beware lest anyone cheat or spoil you. The word spoil literally comes from the meaning of spoils of war. Uh, to be carried off as a captive or be made a slave, to lead you away from the truth. So when he says, beware lest anyone cheat you, he's literally saying, beware lest anyone carry you, away, carry you away captive like the spoils of war. Because we are in a war. And here is how they capture or how the enemy seeks to capture us. First of all, through philosophy. Uh, now, in particular, he was talking about the philosophy that was being pushed at that day and time by Jewish uh, Christian aesthetics who really, uh, they were passing down uh, various beliefs. In fact, the, the writer in the commentary, he, he said it wasn't just a theology, he called it a theosophy. Not a theology, but a theosophy. Combining theology and philosophy, putting them all together. And that's nothing new. We have it here in this world today. 
where people try to take the things of God. I see it a lot. We see it a lot in our community where people take a little bit of Islam, a little bit of Christianity, a little bit of New Age, and they try to combine it with the Bible and say, I'm going to live my life with a little bit of everything, that type of philosophy. We're in such a crisis with, um, with the issue of philosophy in America now that you could really say it's right at the center of everything. They're questioning everything, and they're taught to. Our young people have been taught the last 20, 30 years to question everything. Uh, by the time they get to college and they get into philosophy classes, they have already been, I'll use the word, brainwashed and indoctrinated from the kindergarten all the way through high school and all through college. In fact, you don't have to be a college graduated to have already been indoctrinated in America today. One of my brothers, he, uh, he has, how many grandchildren they got? <laughs> Eight, nine, um, they got a lot of grandchildren. But he said he went and picked up one of his grandchildren from the daycare. And when he got there, uh, they had all the little boys and little girls going to the restroom together. Daycare, four years old. And he said, excuse me, when did we start this? And the director told him, well, it's, it's, it's how things are done today. So while on one side we have in the high schools the fighting over transgender restrooms, at the age of three and four years old, they're already indoctrinating children to think of it as being normal. They're damning their souls. That's what they're doing. So you see what we're talking about. See that no one spoil you, capture you, make you a slave through philosophy, a belief a way of thinking that says this you can do and live any way you want. That's why some of the times the things that we are fighting about as believers today, uh, and I'm sharing this with you not so that you would be down, depressed, or upset. I just want you to understand the Bible said for us to not be ignorant of Satan's devices. So I'm sharing this with you so that you just will be aware and you better know how to march around the walls and the gates that surround your own heart and your family. For all of us with grandchildren and with young children, now we'll know better how to pray because we know exactly what's going on. Because the enemy is counting on us not knowing what I'm sharing with you right now so that we'll continue to fight at a level that's pointless. Going down to the uh, school district and carrying signs and protesting. Doing like some folks did yesterday. White supremacists show up to march for their rights. Jews show up, blacks show up, and you just end up with a huge fight. We're right, we're right, we're right. 
Our lives matter. Our lives matter. Our lives matter. Black rights, white rights, Asian rights, Latino rights, women's rights, children's rights. Animal rights, yeah. Oh, please don't let me forget that. I'm not politically correct if I forget the animals. Oh. <laughs> the slightest little thing we say, somebody's offended. And so if we try to fight at that level, it's pointless because this is an incredible spiritual battle. But I know God wants us to be aware of what's happening, not so that we get overwhelmed by it, but now we're able to stand strong in the spirit and in your prayer closet. That every, and we pray like this, every single spirit, like remember we talked about Sanballat and like Tobiah and like the Amorites and like the Ashdodites that are coming and opposing my granddaughter and my grandson and even though I cannot physically be there at the daycare and I cannot physically be there in the kindergarten class and in the first, first grade class, even though I physically can't be there, Lord I pray that you cover their hearts and their minds and their thoughts and everything that the enemy is trying to put within them. Lord we oppose it now in the name of Jesus and then Lord keep me sensitive that now when my children start asking me questions about what they've been told at school that I won't just blow it off because you got to understand that that's part of the fight too that when they ask that well, oh I'm too busy now here take your iPad go play your child just ask you mommy is it okay for me to go to the boy restroom with the boys Where'd you hear that from? Don't worry about that and just go play. No, time to stop. Sensitive, because that's a key moment. That we don't blow the children off. I'm busy, I'm tired. No, 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 no. You've got a moment right now. A time, an opportunity to keep your child, a teachable moment to keep our child from becoming spoils of war for the enemy. I'm going to take a moment right now, Lord. In fact, I feel right now to cover our children, their thoughts, their little hearts, their spirits right now in the name of Jesus. They belong to God. Come on, you set up them. You set it up. You build that wall and protect your children and your grandchildren. Thank you, Lord God. Bless the Lord God. We break the stronghold of the enemy that would seek to take their lives. You have no right. You have no authority. We will not sit back idly and just simply let you carry our children away as spoils. They belong to God. Thank you, Lord. Lord, when you got a hold of us, you got a hold of our children. You got a hold of our grandchildren. You promised us to a thousand generations. So we silence the voice of the enemy, the plan of the enemy to take them down through philosophy. Thank you, Lord. Oh, God, raise up a standard. A standard, Lord, that would be pleasing to you. Raise it up, Lord Jesus. Often out of wickedness, righteousness raises up. 
And we pray that righteousness would raise up yes, and there'd be a standard raised up, Lord yes, Jesus. Lord. Your kingdom will rule and reign. Your kingdom is a part of us and we're a part of it. Bless your kingdom, Lord Jesus, and raise up a standard. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Bless the Lord. I can understand more and more why the Lord told us that this was really a prayer campaign. He kept emphasizing to us that this is not a teaching series about prayer. This is an actual prayer campaign. And as he points out the strategies of the enemy, that we torpedo it. Is that a good word? I don't know if that's a verb, but I just made it into a verb. <laughs> we destroy it. We bring it down because God is showing us what's happening. I don't know how many believers were at that event yesterday, but I'm telling you, any that were there that were simply trying to accomplish a victory by carrying signs and shouting people down, you're far off the mark of what it's going to take in this day and time. And we must stop minimizing the real value of prayer, the real value of intercession. Um, the next gate that we were going to talk about was going to be the horse gate. And the horse gate represents uh, spiritual warfare because horses were always used in battle. So the next gate that needs to be repaired and be restored in households is the understanding that we're in a battle. You know, uh, I've heard sometimes, I've heard some preachers say, yes, we're the bride, but the bride has on combat boots. <laughs> we're in a battle, but we're not in a losing fight. But we must understand that we are in a fight. Thank you, Lord. Interesting enough that when Paul referred to that philosophy, he said, an empty deceit, uh, or vain deceit. That word uh, vain means empty. That's why it was translated that way. But it means devoid of truth. It, mean, it has no truth in it at all. And the enemy makes certain things sound normal. You ever wonder why the enemy over the last 40 years kept attacking the Bible? The validity of the Bible? Having people question who wrote the Bible? Why was the Bible written? Who had the authority and the right to say this was the word of God and that these are the words of God? That's the level that most people are today. One of the things that sometimes people hear me say when we're talking and sharing in Harrisburg is that, you know, if you don't want to believe the Bible, just say that. You don't have to go all through who wrote it, where did it come from? It was just white people just trying to keep minorities un in oppression. Look, just say, I don't want it. You don't have to attack the Bible. Just simply say, here's my bad English. Just say, I ain't going to do it. But you don't have to go through all of these games and gymnastics of trying to prove if whether it's valid or not. Because even if I go through that battle, of going through all of the, some of you are familiar with Josh McDowell's material. Oh man, him alone. When you go through some of Josh McDowell's material where he shows uh, uh, how the Bible can stack up against any historical document and book in, um, that ever existed and the Bible blows it away 
for validity, numbers of, norm, uh, numbers of copies that have been found, numbers of times the Bible has been, various parts of the letters, especially in the New Testament, have been, have been quoted by others throughout history. I mean, is the Bible just overwhelmingly blows away any other historical document, book, anything. I could go through all of that, but you know what? After you do that with people, because their hearts are hardened, they will still look at me and say, I ain't going to do it. And so that's why I jump all, I skip all the steps and just let's just go all the way to, I ain't going to do it. Don't have me wasting time playing hours and hours of Josh McDowell's material and all of that for you to come to the end and say, well, I still not going to do it. Why am I saying that? Because that's where people are today. It's not about us trying to prove our faith and prove if God exists. To me, you got to prove that he doesn't. It's not the burden's not on me to prove that God exists. The burden's on you to prove that he does not. Come on, that's a praise God all by itself. So everybody, take a deep breath and just, I don't have to try to prove any of this. You have to prove to me it doesn't exist. Yeah, you can just start with me. Prove that he did not change my life. Hello. That he did not heal me, that he did not save my children, that my lives, my children's lives are different from your children's lives. Prove it. We overcome and unto death. I don't have to try to prove anything. I'm living proof. Thank you, Lord. We are living proof. So no matter how much they come up with to try to disprove this, this is why believers come to the point, especially believers of old, that's why they came to the point of loving their lives not unto death. It's worth dying for. Because this isn't just a belief from the earthly standpoint. This is something that I know because he lives within me. See, according to the world's thinking, uh, you probably have seen many movies where they tell people, just believe whatever it is that they want to have happen in their life. Just believe and it'll happen. Just believe. You know, uh, remember angels in the outfield, the little boys seeing angels and, you know, and it can happen. He always, little boy always saying, it can happen. So what this has done is we now live in a country that has this mystical understanding of belief. And it's not something that's really real. In fact, we're kind of considered a little bit psychotic. Psychotic means that you're detached from reality. So when they hear us say things about what we believe, they, they actually think that we're, we're just, it's real to us because we believe it. But they don't know it's the other way around. We believe it because it's real. <laughs> It's not real because we believe it. We believe it because God is real. The Holy Spirit is real. Jesus is real. 
the life that I have within me is real. Come on, bless him right now. Thank you, Lord. Wow, wow, wow. I'm trying to stop. Here's the other one. According to the tradition of men is the other, was the next one that Paul listed as one of the ways that the enemy works against us. According to the tradition of men, he was specifically talking about the body and the precepts and the rituals which had been uh, added to uh, the faith, especially in particular the Jewish beliefs that had been passed down orally. Some of you are familiar with that. And so a lot of the oral traditions became equal in reverence to the law. One of the perfect examples of that was Jesus uh, talked about it. Uh, he said, you make the word of God of none effect because, because of your traditions. One of, their tradition, one of the things that the word of God said was honor your father and mother. And the way that they understood that to mean was as your parents get older, then you should be taking care of your parents. Financially honor them. But the tradition said everything that I profit, that I make and is profitable is korban. I dedicate it to God. So I can't honor mom and dad because the tradition says the money goes to God. So he says, so you make the word of God of no effect because of your traditions. Now, we don't think of that as being this for us today, but we have those same types of traditions today. Uh, we have various national, patriotic, ethnic, cultural traditions that we hold on to, and we make them equal to the word of God. We make them equal to the word of God. What am I getting at? Remember when we went through the refuse gate and we talked about how Paul said he considered his nationality, his ethnicity, and his, his, his religious affiliation as dung compared to Christ. And so unfortunately, many believers here in America, we haven't considered it dung compared to Christ. We make the United States of America equal to the kingdom of God, and it's not. It's not. We make our ethnicity more important, or at least equal to our kingdom citizenship, and it's not. Glad to be a black man, wonderful great legacies, history, all of that. But I'm a child of God. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. My ethnicity will always be rubbish, dung compared to Christ. Especially when you start fighting for it. Because if, if, if I've got to fight this man yes. because I'm black and he's white, and even though we're both believers, but I must now push my, my ethnicity yes. and my cause yes. 
over and above this. We're brothers in the kingdom of God. Wow. See, that's tough today because we live in a world here in America in particular that says, not because of we're brothers, then we're both sellouts to our cause. He should be pushing for national nationalism. He should be pushing for white supremacy. According to all of my folks, I should not, Carol and I should not even be here today. That we're sellouts to our families and friends just for us being here. The phrase that they use is, we're not woke. We're not, we haven't been awakened to the reality of the racism in this country. And if any of you have ever heard that phrase, that's what that means. You hear those black people, some black people are not woke yet. What they mean is we're not awakened. We could not possibly be awake and be aware of what's going on with all, and you've got all these white friends. You cannot possibly be awake. I said, well, what you'd understand is what I'm awake to. I'm awoke, I've been awakened, quickened. We've been made alive in Christ. I'm not dead in sin, therefore fighting in the flesh for rights that even if we ever obtained them in this lifetime would only be in this lifetime. Imagine all of the people who fought yesterday and have been fighting for years who will stand before God and some will actually say to him, I did this in your name. I was fighting for my rights in Jesus' name. And what will he say? Depart from me. Isn't it horrible? I never, not I once knew you and you walked away. No, I never knew you. Wow. Continuing on, keep going, Pastor Chris. Paul wrote and said this. You remember this from Philippians 3, verses 4 through 9. I want to read it to you. He said, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, he said, I'm more so. And then he lists the reasons why. He was circumcised the eighth day. He was of the stock of Israel, uh, of, the, of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He said, concerning the law, he was a, a, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, he persecuted the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, he said he was blameless. I can't even imagine that. <laughs> Over 600 laws. Whew. Paul said, I was blameless. That dude was working. <laughs> he was really working. But can't you see why he would be so lifted up in pride and persecuting the church? Because when you accomplish certain things in your flesh, man, you get puffed up in pride and arrogance, and you feel like you got the right to actually kill 
he felt he had the right to kill in the name of Jehovah. Why am I saying this? Because that's where we are in America. You're looking at people who are fighting in the name of their God. Wow. Paul goes on to say, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And he says, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. If that's you, just say amen. amen. Thank you, Lord. Then the last one he said, Don't be, to not get deceived and thrown off track according to the basic principles of the world. Um, some of the basic principles of the world are some serious strongholds that we, some of us, have adopted just through Growing up, going through life. I want to list some of them so you can hear some of the, I call them some of the principles of the world that we may have grown up with, but you didn't realize it. Uh, such things, especially from my community, all white people are racist. All black people are racist. We always vote Democrat, or we always vote Republican, or we always vote independent. See, basic principles, rudiments of the world. Here's one. Anybody ever heard this one? Nice guys finish last. <laughs> and we believe that so strongly that it nullifies or makes the word of God of no effect. So even though we know, humble yourself, take the low road, consider your brother first, but because great-grandpa, grandpa, father, uncles all said, nice guys finish last. That even though I know Pastor Paul preaches all that love stuff, and nice guys finish last. Keeps playing over and over in your head, nice guys finish last. <laughs> so I can't be a nice guy because nice guys finish last. Here's another one. God only helps those who help themselves. Oh, I've always hated that one. <laughs> you don't have to raise your hand. I maybe have family members and stuff pass that on to you. God only helps those who help themselves. If that were true, then none of us would be saved. My life's experience with him has been God helps those who cannot help themselves. My God. Only the strong survive. <laughs> Why am I pointing this out? Because Paul said this is some of the rudimentary principles of the world that can cause us to be taken captive, end up being spoils of war, because we believe that and we go with that. Wow. Here's one, this is a tough one. God won't put on you more than you can handle. You said, but I thought that's what his word says. No, his word says, 
when talking about as the children of Israel, this comes from 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, when the children of Israel were going through the wilderness and they came up against various trials. They were tempted to uh, want to go back to Egypt. They were tempted to fornicate in the, in the wilderness. They were tempted to speak against Moses. They were tempted to complain. Uh, they were tempted to yeah, uh, commit idolatry while they were going through the wilderness. And then the writer goes on to say, and such is the same with us. We are tempted to rebel against God when going through a trial. But God, and he says, but God will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able to bear. Doesn't say God won't put on you more than what you're able to bear. He says God will now allow us to be tempted. What has happened is we've confused trials and temptations. In the midst of trials, we are tempted. And God does not allow the temptation that comes to us in the midst of our trials to be more than what we can bear because. The Bible says, with the temptation, he provides a way of escape, not from the trial, but a way of escape from the temptation. Come on, thank the Lord for revelation. Thank you, Lord. Why is this important? For us, we know in our environment working in Harrisburg, we've come across many women that have been errantly told this that the reason why they are homeless is because this is God punishing them or putting something on them to see if they're good so there they are loss of home many of them it's loss of relationship there's always some significant other involved it can be by divorce or just a boyfriend left or whatever, even abuse, domestic violence. And then some well-meaning Christian comes along and says to a woman who is now uh, beaten up, broken, battered, living in a homeless shelter, well, God won't put on you more than what you can bear. Which says to her, God is doing this to me. Here's another thing that's very important, that we rightly divide the word of truth. If I'm talking to an unbeliever in a women's shelter, I would not dare even bring up 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10 is talking about the journey of believers coming out of bondage in Egypt, walking through the wilderness on their way to the land of promise. That's not a scripture for unbelievers. What's the word for, 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 for an unbeliever? You need to give your heart and life to Jesus. Satan is attacking your life. He has been all along. What's happening to you is because the evil one has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy you. But Jesus said, I came that you might have life. So you don't tell an unbeliever 
even in the scripture in context, you wouldn't tell an unbeliever, no temptation comes upon you except for what? No, no, no. That's, that's a word for us. To an unbeliever, you say, Satan has come. The thief has come to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come that you might have life and life more abundant. Why is this so important? So that even for us, we don't cause people to be captured because we didn't explain the scriptures correctly. Very important that we're wise in our dealing with them. So, but that is another one of those ones. God won't put on you more than what you can handle. Because James later on, you know, when you read the book of James, even when he talks about temptation, he says, uh, nobody should say when they're tempted that it came from God. What does he say? Because God doesn't tempt anyone. And even when there is temptation, he said, where did it come from? He said it came from our own desires. It came from within us. So here's what here's a, a good way for me to explain difference between temptations and trials. Temptations come in the midst of trials. And when temptation comes, it's coming from something that's within us that's bucking up against what God's trying to do in our life. <laughs> we are tempted to quit, go back, complain, set up an idol and worship it. Just like God's people did going through the wilderness. God wasn't playing with them, with the wilderness. He wasn't, he wasn't, well, let's just see how much you can bear before I bring you into the land of promise. No, the wilderness was supposed to be about purging and preparation for the land of promise. And of course, God knew that in the wilderness, they were going to be tempted. Tempted, not from the outside, but from the ins from within their own hearts, because 400 years of slavery, 400 years in Egypt where they have actually learned the ways of these other gods. You think it was a coincidence that one of the ways they responded was let's build our own idol. Where'd they get that from? They watched it in Egypt for 400 years. <laughs> Good way to put it. <laughs> so by being in the wilderness, by God constantly allowing them to be in a place where they had to trust and depend upon him, what was really in them came out. What's really in you comes out. That's what trials do. They bring out what's really in us. And so if I'm really fearful, if I'm really afraid, if I'm really angry, if I'm really impatient, you know, God, give me patience and give it to me now. <laughs> if I've really got some anger issues with God or with my brother or my sister. Jen, you said something really important when you got up today. You said when everything is going fine and we quote the scriptures it's real easy, but when we're actually going through something, then, I love how you put it, then we find out what's going on in our souls. That's tremendous revelation. 
coming through your life right now. And the reason why that can pour out of you like that is because that's what's in you. You love God. That's what's coming out. There's no bitterness coming out. There's no frustration with God coming out. There's just what's really in you in the midst of your trial. That's what's coming out. And so I love your bold confession. I know that wasn't easy for you. But this is about the renewing of my mind now. This is about me standing on the word of God now. And that's why God is allowing, I believe, what's happening in our nation. What's really in all of us is coming out. But not for the sake of destroying us. He wants to have a pure church, a mature church. That's really where I'm headed with all of this. So the biblical response to the current civil war in America is this. Lord, as you are walking us through this wilderness, do you understand that that, I feel that's what's happening to us? As you're walking us through this wilderness and all of these issues are coming up, like racism, like prejudice, like bigotry, which is on so many different levels other than just race. You know, now we've got this age war going on, you know, the millennials versus, you know, the baby boomers, you know, we got all kind of differences, but why? Why is it all coming out? Because God is walking us through this wilderness. He's trying to transition us. He's trying to purify us. He's bringing forth, he's, he's, he's bringing out his true church. The true church in America is being revealed. We got lots of buildings Lots of ministry titles, lots of stuff on TV and on the Internet. But in the midst of all of this, the pure, the real church is emerging. Thank you, Lord. And he wants I believe he wants our attention and all of our energy and everything focused there to do exactly what the Apostle Paul said. And now I close with what he ended up with. He said in verse nine, for in him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. We got everybody fighting for wholeness and fighting for rights, but here is where it comes down to. We are complete in him. Come on, bless the Lord today. Thank you, Lord.